jumping right in, as, as many of you uh, know, you know, who've been attending this series, uh, the goal uh, with the path to becoming a CFO is to try and uh, show not just the stories and, and share the stories of uh, CFOs who have actually you know, been through the, your very varied journeys and getting to that role, but also to you know, maybe pull up uh, apart the curtain on the process of how uh, you know, those uh, roles come about, right? So how does that first time CFO role opportunities uh, come about? And uh, that's why I'm excited about uh, today's session where we get to speak with a couple of experts uh, on on how that process works uh, from a company's perspective, and uh, uh, you know, I'd love to uh, introduce you to uh, two folks. First, uh, Rhoda Long Henry. She is uh, the a partner at a search firm True, uh, and and she's the global head of their financial officers uh, practice. And uh, she's been there for about seven years. Before that, she was uh, the partner in charge of the San Francisco office of Hydric and Struggles, also leading their financial officers practice. So she's been doing this for a really long time, for about 20 years and she works with uh, you know all of the leading venture capital firms and her client list includes uh, you know all of the companies that you've heard of uh, I think Asana, Zenefit, uh, you know uh, Pager Duty, GitHub. I saw a whole bunch of uh, names on there and uh, so she's very well placed to uh, you know talk us through that process of what a search process uh, looks like. Hey, so Rora, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So we also have uh, Jen Holstrom. Jen is the head of talent at uh, GGV Capital. They're a multi-billion dollar, multi-national uh, fund and, and uh, very successful investments in lots of uh, uh, companies, both in the US and China. So she's uh, the head of talent there, but in the past, she's also uh, been in executive search roles at Facebook and firms like Riviera Partners and SPMB and a whole host of them. So she also brings not just the perspective of a recruiting firm, but also the in-house search and the VC, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, fund uh, perspective and how she works with portfolio companies and and all of that. And and uh, Jen, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Awesome. So let's uh, jump right in. So I want to start, uh, you know, Rodo, with you with a very high-level question, right? Which is, you know, what exactly is the difference between uh, a VP of finance? And a CFO, right? And as as you are thinking about, uh, you know, or engaging with companies who are asking that question, whether they're ready for a CFO or not, what in your experience uh, are the triggers for, uh, you know, saying that I'm ready for a CFO? I had a VP of Finance, but now I want a CFO. Or are there times when you go and tell them, no, I think you don't, you're not ready for a CFO, and 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 uh, you can make do with a VP of Finance now. And uh, so I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, it's a good question. It's a question we get a lot from companies. Um, you know, sometimes I think it comes down to the stage of the company, you know, the pain points they're trying to solve. Sometimes it's, it reflects the seniority of the person. So in many cases, like earlier stage companies, not always, but earlier stage companies, they're really looking to solve for accounting and FP&A, and you need somebody who's very hands-on, very operationally focused, very inward-looking. And that's all they need. They have the, the strategy and the vision set by the CEO, and they just need somebody to make sure that the books are in order. In that case, you're looking for a VP of finance. As that company scales, you know, they may look for somebody with more experience um, and somebody to solve who, who can do fundraising. Uh, I think the biggest difference between like a CFO and a, a VP of finance is, is, as I mentioned, a VP of finance being operational, but a CFO being uh, more strategic, really more um, external, somebody who has like leadership 
uh, presence and gravitas who could uh, you know, stand up to board members uh, who can talk to investors, who could really tell the story of a business, um, and can, who really help with strategy, return on investment. So sometimes you find CFOs who are just more experienced, um, but it really depends on the pain points. But sometimes we we'll have very early stage companies where you may have a very technical founder, uh, somebody who's, who says, I don't know how to do fundraising. I don't know how I, I have the technology. I have the vision. I don't know how I can take that vision and translate it to a story that investors are going to get excited about to help me raise money. So usually, you know, usually you're looking for VP of finance earlier on and the CFO later as a business scales, but sometimes we will find earlier stage companies looking for CFO. Got it. And so I don't know if Jen, you want to add, sorry. Yeah. Anything yeah, so to I that? Have that yeah, I have that follow up for her, which is uh, yeah. what informs your thinking when you're advising companies, for example, in the GGV uh, capital portfolio? And how do you advise them about the timing of uh, when they should be looking for a CFO? What, the, what does that conversation look like with the portfolio CEOs uh, that you're talking to? And also, uh, when do you decide, okay, we need to call Rhoda and, and get yeah. uh, uh, expert help, right? Which I often do, by the way. <laughs> but great question. Um, so in terms of timing and when, um, hate, I hate to say it depends, but it does. Um, to, to Rhoda's point, in certain circumstances, you would um, point to a CFO a little bit earlier, but usually um, kind of at least post B, post C round, um, post D sometimes. Um, and certainly if a company hasn't hired a CFO and they're intending on potentially um, filing or going, you know, um, going out in the within an 18 month window, then it becomes urgent and important that we hire a CFO. So, you know, it really does kind of depend on the specific circumstance of the company. Um, if all of a sudden, you know, you know that we see the the CFO as a real partner to the CEO. Um, so it always kind of depends on that dynamic and the strength of that particular CEO and team. So if they've hired a good, strong VP of finance who can potentially step up into the role as the company scales the right kind of pacing, then that is one option. If they haven't and they need to bring somebody else, um, somebody in from outside, um, you know, then, then that's a critical kind of consideration as well. But I think our, our partners would describe a great CFO as somebody who's forward looking um, versus backward looking. So somebody who can think about, to Rhoda's point, that you can who can really help with fundraising, um, who can think about return on invested capital. So is the company at a stage where they're going to consider M&A, um, they're gonna make acquisitions to grow, all of those kind of strategic considerations, if they're doing that, um, it's often the right time to bring in a CFO. Got it, and quick follow-up question to that is, in your experience, do first time and, and experience uh, founders, CEOs, think about the need for and the type of CFO differently, if at all? And uh, does that impact search criteria uh, in your experience? Um, it does. And, and I have to answer, when do I call Rhoda? Because this is, this is important. <laughs> um, uh, so I would say if, if the company is going um, public, we will often, it, like in, in the near term, relatively near term, um, we will often look for somebody who has taken a company out, especially if that CEO has never done that before. Um, so that will absolutely influence the search criteria. Um, and then in terms of um, when I call Rhoda, it's, it's early and often. 
but um, but <laughs> kind of kidding, kind of not. Um, but I would say if, if the CEO, I might have conversations and a little bit of a difference between what Rhoda does and what I do inside a venture fund. Um, if the CEO has never, is a first time founder, has never scaled a company before, um, I might have a conversation with them for up to a year before they actually, before we actually call Rhoda. Um, because this might be something they're considering. They may start by having an outsourced controller, then they bring that in-house, then they hire a VP of finance as they build the team. Um, and all along that way, I might call Rhoda for the VP of finance, or um, if, they, you know, if they've been lucky and hired that, brought in somebody they know, or brought in that person on their own and need a CFO, then I would call Rhoda as soon as they decide definitively that they need to make that hire. Got it. That's great. And so now you, you've decided that you need a CFO uh, in the company and you know, all the stakeholders have decided that, yes, we want to go forward and we want to find the best uh, person possible. And in a lot of cases, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, uh, Rhoda who comes in uh, and, and helps with that process. Right. And so what I want to do next is talk about the recruitment process itself, the nuts and bolts of it. And then uh, I also want to have a whole other section about standing out to, uh, uh, you know, uh, recruiters, executives, search recruiters, and how do you make sure that, especially if you're uh, hoping for a first time opportunity as a CFO, what should you be doing to stand out, right? So that I'll, I'll do next, but to really start with the nuts and bolts of the process. So, so Rhoda, uh, you know, can you describe that uh, process at a high level? Uh, you know, mm -hmm. maybe starting with, uh, let's say it is somebody uh, like Jen, uh, who is advising the, uh, uh, CEOs uh, and, and she reaches out to you or maybe someone like me reaches out to you directly and says, hey, I need help, right? So, uh, and, and how does it flow from there? Like, can you walk us through uh, what the process is from the moment you hear from a company saying, I think I need a CFO, who, who is involved on your end? Is it just you? Is there a team behind you? And how, how does that work inside uh, a firm such as yours? Uh, you know, can you uh, give us that overview? Yeah. Absolutely. So usually I get introduced to the CEO, and in many cases, the good news is because I'm usually either referred by a talent partner like, like Jen, or even sometimes CEOs will do some back-channeling um, in the market and get my name through somebody else. So usually it's a warm lead. We have a half-an-hour conversation, and in that call, you know, I'm actually you know, I'm learning about their, their need for a CFO and then talking about my capabilities. And then from there, what we'll do is you sometimes we'll do a follow-up conversation where we'll go deeper in terms of the profile. And hopefully, you know, they're talking to a few recruiters. My, the, the recruiters that, that many of the people on this call know, I think mean, all of us are very good recruiters. We know the market. And sometimes it's just candidly, it's cultural fit with the CEO. I always tell my clients it's a partnership. Like search, ideally can take, you know, ideally three months less, it can take longer. So we'll be spending a lot of time and there has to be some really good trust. We, it's important to understand that we are an outsource, like we're a, par, a true partner to the company. Like we represent the company. Uh, we really try to understand the culture. Our goal is not just to find candidates and make introductions. Like we want to really understand the company's needs, the candidate's strengths and weaknesses and making sure we're making a match. Um, so a lot of time up front, you know, once we get selected, we'll do a kickoff meeting. We'll spend an hour to two really understanding the story of the company so we can go deep and represent it in the market and then understanding the spec on what they need um, and the culture. So we'll try to talk to all the stakeholders, the CEO, 
the rest executive team and even board members to make sure there's alignment on a spec. I'm sure some of the candidates or some of the individuals on this call will know, like sometimes the spec does change. Initially, we'll want IPO experience or public company experience and certain set, and then that may change over time as the company gets educated on what's needed. Many cases that somebody like, like Jen, Jen will spend a lot of time upfront with founders to calibrate. So we're not starting a search cold. So she'll make introductions to either CFOs within the portfolio. So the CEO will kind of a sense like, I know what a controller oriented CFO feels like. I know what an FP&A oriented CFO feels like. I know what a banker wants. I know because I've had these conversations with CFOs, what I'm really trying to solve for and what that looks like in a candidate. Um, and then we'll continue to educate as our process goes along. So we'll kick off a search and it typically takes us two weeks or so to get a slate of candidates and that's when we do an outreach. And you asked about my team. I have a fantastic team behind me, so I can't do it all by myself. I have about 15 to 20 people nationwide. We work on, um, you know, working on, you know, 15 to 20 searches at a time uh, with all partners, principals and associates. And my recommendation for, uh, you know, all CFOs, VP of Finance is get to know me, but get to know my team. Because what will happen is I will use my network, my associates will use their network, and the principals and partners, all of us, cal you know, we will all, um, uh, not calibrate, but um, uh, we'll be all, we will all talk and share ideas. So if somebody's actively looking, what we will tend to do is say, I know, Jane or Joe, they're looking, share it with the practice in case somebody has opportunities that would be right for them. And we will show them a number of opportunities if it makes sense, unless that candidate is uh, in later stages with one of our clients. Uh, but we do really share, and I think the, um, so it's important to make sure you return the calls from True, myself, but others, and make sure you just get on our radar screen, because the more people you know, the better we can think about you for the right opportunities in the future. Um, and then as the search goes on, we try to introduce five or six candidates beginning with search, and then it's like as the search goes on, one or two candidates a week, and it will continue to go on until we get to final stages. Is that Got helpful it. to and understand the process? No, that, yeah. that, that's, yeah. that's very helpful. So, uh, you know, I know you've done dozens, maybe hundreds of these searches. So on average, like how many candidates uh, does a company uh, interview before they settle on the one that's a good fit for them, and how long does that process typically take? As a candidate, what should you expect? Is this a, mm -hmm. a process that typically takes a few weeks or many months, or what should be the expectation? Then? That's a great question, because it does take a lot longer than people expect, you know, for a number of reasons. So our, our, our typical answer is three months. We have closed searches in a month. We have closed searches in a year and a half. So it, it goes the gamut. It all depends on the founder and how tight that spec is. So we have a CEO or founder or CEO who says, I want IPO experience, sitting CFO, enterprise SaaS in, in San Francisco, LA, New York, you name the city. I mean, that's a defined universe as opposed to I'm looking for a CFO or a number two. So with IPO and or public company experience, I would take SaaS or software or maybe, you know, if it's a high volume, high velocity sale, like the more flexibility we have on the spec, the, you know, the more open that, that, that um, the more open um, that spec is that we can approach more candidates. Uh, it also depends on if the CEO is really understands what good looks like and has a confidence to make that hire quickly. So sometimes there's a lot of education. Jen is great on really helping provide perspective on what CFOs look like. We continue to do so, 
but they may not know and they may need to meet a lot of candidates. It's kind of like dating. I think there's a lot of analogies about dating and recruiting. Sometimes you don't know the one until you've dated your 15, you know, 15 girlfriends or boyfriends, but, or, or sometimes you just know right off the bat. And I think it depends on the, the, the company's conviction and see, knowing what it looks like pretty quickly. Um, but even if they meet somebody who's really strong that they're excited about, it still takes time. And I know that's really hard for actively looking candidates. CEOs are busy, their team is busy, their board is busy. They will make it a priority. Um, but scheduling is challenging. You have board conversations coming, you know, you have board meetings coming up that they have to prepare for. They might be distracted about other priorities of the business. So the scheduling is what may slow a process up from a candidate perspective. Or they, there might be other candidates in play. So they, you might be available, but there could be another candidate that they want to go through the process, and that person might be traveling or, you know, before COVID or whatever it may be. So it takes a few weeks, hope, you know, hopefully shorter, um, but it does take time. So even if we had a very – in the fastest process we've had was literally seven weeks, and we had uh, – not sorry, seven weeks, seven days. The CEO met the person – got in front of the team and the board within a week. They flew the CFO to meet the CEO in another city, and they got it closed and done in like seven days. So that has happened, but it doesn't happen often. Got it. So let's talk about the interview process itself. So uh, is that very different in every company? Do you tend to work with uh, the, the uh, companies that you're doing searches for to help them come up with that interview panel and, uh, and, and define what the interview process should be. What should people listening expect? Because as we were talking about earlier, if, if you're a VP of finance, for example, it's more uh, a little more tactical than strategic, right? And, and you're being tested for your skills and, and things like that. But when you're interviewing for a CFO role, what do those interviews look like? And, and what does that panel typically look like? So usually it's with the CEO first, um, and then it's with the team, and then it's usually with the board, and then it's more time with the CEO, and then we really recommend doing um, some some type of strategic project. So not always, but ideally at the before before somebody joins, we think that the sitting down with the CEO and saying what's a 30-day, 90-day, uh, 60-day year plan is. I think that's very telling. Uh, I think if, if you have one CFO who says, okay, I'm going to join and I'm going to hire consultants and the team and, and I'm going to spend all this money versus somebody's going to say, I'm going to spend a month really understanding the business. It just talks about work style. If, can't, if, if um, our placement doesn't work out, in many cases, it's cultural. It's working style. It's arrogance. It's um, the CEO and the CFO make decisions in very different ways. So we need to make sure that that cultural fit. So spending a lot of time with the CEO to kind of suss that out at the very end is, is important. Where it becomes tricky is when um, uh, the CEO asks the CFO to meet the finance team because it's awkward. You're interviewing your boss. So we always tell our clients that we need to be careful about that. Does the team have veto power or not? Because it's really easy. The CEO, as well as the sometimes management team, get a chance to meet a lot of candidates. They, through that process, they get educated. And then all of a sudden, you drop one candidate in front of the team. It's easy for the team to say, I don't like this person just because I didn't really click with them, whatever it may be. And um, so I would say that we, um, we, you know, we need to make sure when they meet the finance team that is set up for success. Does that team have veto power? Are we, are we all, is there alignment on what they're supposed to be assessing for? Um, so yes, we do spend a lot of time really understanding the interview panel as well as 
making sure everybody knows their role and there's alignment on what good looks like for, from a CEO and board perspective. Because if you have somebody not like somebody for something that's not important to the search, like you can't bring that on the very finalist uh, stages of a search. Got it. And so, uh, you know, let's say we go through the interview process and, and it looks like what I'm taking away from what you said is that it's less to do with specific uh, tactical skills because a true CFO is expected to come in and hopefully they already have a team or they're going to build a team to take care of that day to day and they're going to be a partner to the C uh, CEO. And then that's where uh, a lot of the focus is going to be on in the interview process, right? And being strategic and engaging with the board and you know, convincing the board and the CEO that the CFO can be a true partner on the fundraising side, you know, so telling the story of the business to the world, things like that, right? And, and so once you've gone through that process, uh, let's assume things have gone well, and now you're uh, approaching, uh, uh, you know, uh, an offer, right? And how does a company typically benchmark compensation uh, when an offer is made? And, and, uh, and how does the company's uh, stage, if you're a series, say, uh, C, D, E company, does that have make a difference? And, and what should people who might not have gone through that process before understand about uh, any offer that they might be getting? And, and, uh, and are there some you know, insider uh, knowledge that, that, that can help them optimize it uh, for themselves, right? Yes. So when we get to offer stage, I think they get a number of data points. Like We will provide data points on searches that we've done for similar stages that are very recent. Um, the company will also use external services uh, to find their data points that will make sense. And they usually have a, it's very important to understand the company's philosophy around compensations, right? So when we extend an offer, we don't start with like what the numbers are, the data points. We're saying, this is how they think about comp. Some people think high cash, low cash, high equity, low equity, start low and earn it up, bonuses or not. So the philosophy. And then Jen is very helpful and other top partners will come in with their data points from their portfolio companies. So there's a lot of, we always like to, there's always data, but then there's always, you know, specifics of that specific person, like somebody more senior and somebody more junior, depending, they're going to command different things. If it's a step-up candidate, we're taking a chance on them, or if it's a proven five-time CFO who doesn't need to work, for him to make it worth his time, you're going to have to put an offer that makes sense. So there'll be outliers for sure. Got it. Great. Yeah, so, yeah I don't know if you want to add. Yeah. Add that a little yeah. bit. Go for it. We often, this is where we'll often get involved. We, we partner with the search firm, but mm -hmm. um, when, when it comes down to brass tacks of an offer, we'll pull data from recent searches, marry that with Rhoda's data. Um, but then also there are a few surveys out there. Um, one of them is advanced, uh, owned by Advanced HR. It's called Option Impact. Um, and that is a pretty mm -hmm. commonly used tool by the venture community. So most VCs have access to that. Um, many, many founders have access to that, and um, it compiles a few thousand data points from the market every year um, around kind of compensation point, you know, kind of, kind of price points or um, cash, equity, et cetera. And this year will be interesting to see kind of in a post-COVID world what that data looks like. I know that Radford and others are working on updating surveys um, in light of it, but um, Radford's another one that is pretty commonly used, but mostly for a little bit later stage, although they're now working there as well. Got it. Great. So, Jen, I want to spend a little bit of time getting your perspective as, you know, Rhoda gave us the uh, perspective of the external firm coming in and engaging with the company and helping find that CFO. So, 
when that process is happening, you know, what is the involvement of an investor? And for example, as in your role as head of talent at GGV Capital, how involved are you in these searches? Do you ever do these searches yourself? Or do you always say that that's not what, what you do in your role? You uh, essentially help, help identify the right kind of firm for the companies to work with. So how exactly are you engaging with the portfolio companies uh, in this process? Sure. Um, so we typically will not do an end-to-end -end search. Um, what we will do, as Rhoda mentioned, is a lot of partnership work on the front end of the process. So we'll work with that particular CEO and um, a tool that we've used in the past that uh, kind of before you call, uh, call in your partner at a search firm is what we call a scorecard. Um, so we may do a little bit of brainstorming with that CEO so that they can themselves identify the top seven to 10 outcomes that they want to see from that hire over the next 12 to 18 months. And that tool, um, it's a pretty simplistic tool, but it can be used throughout the search process so that um, to Rhoda's earlier point, there's, there's a guidepost against which to measure candidates and kind of do assessment um, and also to drive, a, which drives alignment amongst the team and also can help with the board. Um, because one of the worst things that happens is you get the team is very excited. They find a candidate, they get to the end of the process, ready to go to offer. They have them meet the board and the board who usually does have veto power <laughs> um, or certainly can influence an outcome um, will say no. And then you get into to a tough situation. So we recommend in terms of just how we team up with the portfolio at the outset is to use something like a scorecard, um, especially if it's a first time founder um, who hasn't made this kind of a hire before. Then we work with them to introduce, um, you know, one or two search firms that may be a good fit for them. Um, and, and where we know that the search firm has recency around particular searches or a network in a particular area. So enterprise SaaS or e-commerce or, you know, you know, big consumer high scale company um, and certain, you know, as companies are getting more complex and getting up that growth curve, um, they may have, you know, they may be operating multiple geographies. They may, the, the, the complexity within the business itself um, may be getting multifaceted. So um, we help them think about profiles that may work um, for the particular scenario, not only in the immediate, but anticipating kind of six months, 12 months, 18 months forward. Um, and then we'll call Rhoda and work with Rhoda um, on you know what that search looks like, but hopefully by the time we do that, um, the CEO has a particular kind of at least a general idea um, of who they think they you know would be a great partner to them in that role. Got it. And you mentioned how board members have a significant say in this process, right? And so, in in your experience, what are investors and board members typically looking for in that CFO role? And if you if you look back and and uh, you know think of some patterns when candidates were uh, accepted rejected uh, some you know what would those patterns be uh, and what are uh, board members and investors typically looking for? Um, you know I think it's some board members a variety of things but in general um, Glenn Solomon says to me you know a CFO a great CFO is forward looking um, so they they're anticipatory they can really be kind of, we, we think of it almost, they're, you know, kind of an awkward analogy, but a bit of a marriage between the CEO and the CFO. So not only from a skills standpoint, but, you know, are they a strategic, how do they think? Are they visionary? Can they really help with the strategic decisions of business model, of fundraising, of, of you know, investment on capital? So what are the forward thinking things that that person 
Um, are they inclined that way? Do they have experience that way? Um, and then also, um, at the end of the day, the chemistry with that CEO is, is of the utmost importance. It's really, really important. Um, and it's, it's a little bit hard to predict ahead of time. Um, but in terms of what board members look like, I think that forward looking, um, the, you know, kind of inclination, but doesn't, that doesn't necessarily mean you have to have experience as a CFO. I think um, board members are equally open to step up candidates, but it does depend on the stage and scenario for that particular company. Um, so if it's a little bit earlier in that growth curve um, and are they willing to, you know, take a chance on somebody who has not had the seat before? Absolutely. Um, if it's a much later stage company that has a lot of complexity um, and they're about to go public, would they want somebody with experience having done that? Most probably, yes. Got it. And so let's talk a little bit about the difference given that you've been in both seats. Uh, a finance leadership role, uh, which may not be the ultimate uh, CFO role in a large company, it might be still be a division or a business unit or something like that, but still a, a finance leadership role where you're partnering maybe with a general manager or something like that versus the top role at a smaller company. Because in some cases, if you go to a, a, one of these larger companies, the business unit itself might be a huge uh, company in its own right, okay. right? And so yes. how, how did you think about that when say when you were at uh, Facebook and you were trying to get somebody in uh, because there is only one top CFO job at Facebook and, uh, you know, and, but, but there are many other pretty meaty finance leadership roles in, in a company like that, right? And how should people think about, you know, those kinds of opportunities where you, you either get that top role in a much smaller company versus still a, you know, a role with a large responsibility in a larger company? How did that work? And how did you make the case to, the people you were trying to hire in, in uh, roles like that? Um, it's a great question. And, you know, at Facebook, we, I, I think there are certain cultural attributes that even though Facebook was a bigger company and becoming increasingly big, um, there, there was a startup DNA that we used to talk about where, um, you know, great candidates used to really kind of thrive in a fast-paced, unstructured environment. Um, for other big companies, um, but, but as the company, as Facebook grew, it became more structured, um, but still a tremendous amount of opportunity for folks to come in, work with a bigger team, learn with some structures already in place. Um, for the earlier stage companies, I think um, candidates who really love to build are, and, and who like that kind of early stage chaos, who are okay with, with you know, who are comfortable in a more unstructured environment, um, are typically would really like like to work in uh, an early stage company. So we, we did talk a little bit about, you know, if you were in looking for the top jobs at Facebook, you may not be the right candidate for, you know, a post A or post B or a P, post C company if, if you were inclined more one way or the other and vice versa. Um, just because of that DNA, it's the early stage companies, there's, there's uncertainty, there's chaos. It's, it's usually really fast moving and depending on the stage, you're fighting to fight another day. So that there's a particular, um, I think, comfort level and just basic, um, you know, personality that, that where one is more appealing to, to somebody versus another. But this, from a skill set perspective, I think there, you know, you can learn from one and take it to the other. Um, and they're, they're transferable to some degree, but I think the building nature of a startup has to appeal to the right candidate. Got it. And in terms of process, right, in, in, in a larger company, did you work with external firms, 
at all or was this all in-house and there was enough uh, kind of capacity and and the team uh, took care of it in-house itself like how did that work uh, in, in terms of the search process so good question i um i worked on the first executive search team at facebook and we you know we didn't hire we really didn't partner that much with firms um we did facebook does hire some of the bigger firms um for the c-level roles um, but at the time we weren't really partnering with that many external um, firms we may do a project with a firm to do kind of a, a market map um, of a for a particular function or geography um, and but but we built the team in-house with experienced executive search professionals who'd been at firms like true um, and and built a team in-house and that's what apple has done um, Google has an executive search team. So the bigger tech companies have often have start to build in-house teams as time goes on. Got it. Got it. Great. So, uh, I don't want to uh, shift gears a little bit and spend some time talking about standing out, uh, to recruiters mm -hmm. as the search process is going on. Right. So Rona, maybe I can start with you. Um, uh, you know, what percentage of, uh, time ballpark, right? Like, do you spend placing first time CFOs relative to, uh, you know, uh, experienced CFOs have done it uh, in the past? So I pulled the numbers last night. And so of all the searches I worked since the beginning of 2019, 40% of my searches were first time founders. And the, good news. You know, okay. so maybe we could, yeah, it's really good news. And I could spend some time if helpful, you know, talking about how to stand up with recruiters, how to get the opportunity to make it from VP of finance to CFO. Um, so there's a few things to learn. There are some cases where they want somebody proven, right? And that may be uh, like public company experience and like some founders who are, you know, risk adverse and they want somebody who's been there, done that. I recently did a search for a multi-billion dollar valuation business. It was a very high profile business, um, great investors. And they said, and it was interesting, the CEO got this advice from really seasoned CFOs uh, that said, look, you can hire a seasoned CFO, but sometimes they're tired. And you might want to take a bet on an up and comer who's really hungry because the attitude is different, right? So, and, and, and he took that advice to heart and we, we took a chance on somebody who was very light on experience, like maybe, I mean, it was, um, you know, coming, coming up the corporate development route, but very light on operating experience, but with the right, right level of intellect, DNA, hungry, and he took a chance. And this is again, a multi-billion dollar value business. So this was a big company of scale. And you see this, if you think about even some of the public company, like think about Square took a number two. I mean, there, if you look at the recent placements, even at the public company level, you know, they've taken a chance on number twos as opposed to number ones, because I do think there's something, you know, a seasoned CFO is great, but there is a, um, you know, they've done it. Are they going to want to build? And that's going to be something that's interesting. So it's hard to get those opportunities. I won't say it's easy, but there are out there and it just depends on the company. So what do you do to position yourself to get there, to get in front of recruiters, to get in front of companies? Um, I think it's working for, it's getting trained under great, uh, you know, when, when, let me start with your question. How do you stand up to a recruiter? What do we do? How do we find number two talent as well as sitting CFO talent? We look at your LinkedIn profile. So invest your time in your LinkedIn profile. This is not a resume, it's a marketing tool. You absolutely follow up the resume afterwards, like, if you want to do a resume, which I do recommend doing, because there's things that you can put in your resume and not your LinkedIn profile. Um, 
but your LinkedIn profile is a marketing tool. And somebody like me, I can understand what a LinkedIn profile, the story tells, but there's a lot of really junior recruiters at companies where they're not using search firms. So you got to make it easy for them to understand. So put your company name. If it's a venture-backed company and it's good investors, put the investor's name. Because if somebody's an Excel-backed, GGV-backed, um, Sequoia, Greylock, whatever it may be, versus a no-name investor company, that makes a difference. My, my line is, you could be CFO of Starbucks, and you could be CFO of a mom-and-pop coffee shop. Same title, same responsibilities, but very different level of sophistication, right? So the, the more qualification that you can put about a company in your LinkedIn profile to make it easy for recruiters to understand, the better. So put investors. If you can put scale, and that's public, put scale. If you can make sure you put what the company does, because make it easy for recruiters to know if that's a SaaS company, hardware company, direct-to-consumer, anything that qualifies the quality of your experience. And then show your promotions if you have promotions. So ideally, what we like to see in a LinkedIn profile, I like to see somebody who's been at maybe it's a company and, and they got promoted every two years. And then, or if you've had to make moves for some reason, have an easy explanation because Nobody wants to, you know, not, you know, if somebody's made moves and they're explainable, that's fine, but make it explainable easy. So maybe there's a change in CEO, CFO, maybe it's, it's gotten sold, but make it easy to understand. Um, they, there's, there's an article out there that says that we looked at resumes and LinkedIn, recruiters look at resumes and LinkedIn profiles for like five or six seconds, and it's true. I don't really read closely. I want to know the story that resume or LinkedIn profile tells me quality of companies, progression in career, stability. If you've moved around like locations, like if you've gone and you've shown you moved around and that's the, the explanation moves, that tells me a story. Um, you know, if you, you know, include your education, any extracurricular activities, if there's board or advisors, put that at the bottom of the resume. What you don't want is to show, because sometimes I'll have people put their summer internships, board conversations within their LinkedIn profiles. And what it, the problem is that says, there's a lot of little steps on the way, which is, you know, if you don't take the time to really understand, oh, that's just a board and not just a move, just make it really easy. And if you don't know how to do it, look at how other people think about finance executives that you respect and what do they put in their resumes. Um, so, and then put as much detail. You don't want too much detail, but the highlights, talking about where you've driven change. Like I joined to, to, to build up the FP&A function or build up the controllership function, help bring this company public, not just your scope of responsibility, that's important, but where you really drove, you were a catalyst for change because that's then you're showing that you've actually contributed. So LinkedIn, we, you know, we spent a lot of time on LinkedIn, as you can imagine. We spent a lot of time networking. Return recruiters called. We're not, even if you're not in the market, build those relationships, not just with me, but with the team. Because the worst case is I have somebody says, okay, I'm looking now, they called me up. They haven't returned my last year, five years of calls and now they need help, right? Like this is, I know CFOs and VP of finance candidates from five, 10, 15 years. And I always tell people, sometimes I don't, I am retained by the company. So I can't, I'm not, I, deal, I mean, I would love to represent you, but in many cases, I'm representing the interest of a company. So you may or may not be right. So I can't just present you because that would, my credibility, which is not something that you want, will be, um, you know, I'll lose credibility with my clients. But when I present you to my clients, like, and I'm 
that, that, that's a good thing. That's a real like introduction and a real opportunity. Um, so, and the better I, you spend, I get to know you, the better I know which opportunities that I can introduce you. So return to recruiting calls, even if you're not looking, or at least have the courage to say, hey, so sorry, I'm very happy. I'm not open right now, but I'll think of ideas. Like something as simple as that to allow me to tell my client, look, I've talked to this person. They're not interested. And I'll know to call you again, and we build that relationship. When you are ready, hopefully we can help you, and there'll be opportunities. So it's really good, clean LinkedIn profiles. It's building relationships early on with recruiters, and then telling your story. Um, you know, when you are talking to recruiters, being able to communicate your story in a very crisp manner. Um, so I like to hear why. I am assuming, based on what I see on paper, you have the experience, right? If you've been VP of Finance at a uh, venture-backed company or uh, or a um, you know public company, I could tell the, you, that you have the experience. My job is to tell, tell my client if that experience is good or not. So what am I listening to? I'm I'm listening for um, motivation, why you took a job, why you what you got done, how you got that done, and then what was the result of your success there. It, so it's really the the quality of the experience and just like I've done accounting, I've done FP&A, I've built teams, I, um, you know, maybe I've, I've put in systems and processes. So really think about when you get on a phone with a recruiter or whenever you're interviewing, what value did you bring? Not just experience, but what what are the clues that make me good? I got promoted several times. Uh, you know, I have great mentors that gave me the opportunity. Um, and then I'll, I'll one more thing. I'll just finish because I know this has been a question: is how to get there. How, you know, and I know that's the path of the CFO. Uh, the goal is to find great mentors and be in positions where you really fine tune your skills. So if you're a controller, focus on getting controllership, nailing that, and then try to get the opportunity to move to FP&A. If you're a P&A, try to under like do your FP&A and then try to get the controllership because the, the biggest when you are trying to become a CFO. You know, sometimes like, oh, well, I just have accounting. I haven't done FP&A or vice versa. Getting the opportunity and going and being proactive with your CFO to say, I would love to broaden my experience. Can you give me that opportunity? And good CFOs will really try to mentor and give that opportunity. So trying to get that broad-based opportunity and then be at companies where they're scaling. If you don't want to... You, want to, you don't want to jump too much in your career, but if the company is not doing well, trying to join companies that are scaling and growth, getting that growth experience, because that's so important in Silicon Valley. Roto, that, that's great. Thank you. And you actually answered a couple of questions that I saw coming in about what should I be doing in terms of uh, growing my skills? I think the last part uh, that you talked about ad addressed that, right? So depending on what area you're coming in from, try to get the more broad-based experience. So, Jen, do you have anything else to add to that larger theme of if you're at the director VP level today, what should you be doing in terms of exposing yourself to skills and or maybe opportunities that put you in a good position to become uh, uh, a CFO in the future? That's one. I have a couple of other things that I will follow up on uh, after that. Sure. Um, so one thing I would add to um, what Rhoda said is there, there's a leadership element to coming up that curve that's really important. Um, at GGV, we, we have a, a leadership development program called Founders and Leaders um, to try and partner with our companies to help do just this, which is um, there, there's a whole set, the, in, in addition to, uh, to your functional skills, leading people and building teams is something that um, I would recommend people always be looking out for um, kind of 
augmenting skills around. So are you good at attracting talent? Are you good at um, assessing talent yourself for to build out a well-rounded team? Are you good at develop, once you get that talent, of developing that talent up that curve and being able to um, show that you can do that as a leader and a manager of people? Um, because as, you know, VP of finance, CFO, um, that is a core component. It's, it's a lot of, you will spend a lot of your time um, doing both of those things. In addition to being the partner of the CEO, um, how are you? And often in these companies, CFO is going to own a broader, their span of control will include facilities and or sometimes the people function. Um, so, so the more, if you can develop your own skill set around leadership, management, um, building teams, retaining people, developing people, I think it's, it'll be ultimately really time well spent. Um, and how should people think about, you know, personal branding and marketing and should they even be thinking about that or focus more on the skills uh, and the nuts and bolts? Like, you know, are there good examples of people that you think have done a good job, especially when it comes to, uh, uh, you know, the CFO role uh, where they're, you know, focused on marketing themselves well? Sure. So, so I think um, to Rhoda's point, just really focusing on um, on the, on honing your skills. So become really, really good at what you do, but then also associating yourself with great brands of companies and like high growth stories that all um, will provide in and of itself visibility in the market. Um, I think as you develop through your career, any, any kind of visibility that you can do speaking on panels, um, mentoring, um, mentoring up and comers yourself um, as you go and, and also being a mentee. So learning from people who've been there, all of that I think contributes to and, and augments and enhances your profile as a candidate. Um, in terms of Got people who've done well, I, Sarah Fryer comes to mind. She, she's an amazing, mm -hmm. uh, you know, from, from Square. And uh, I think people can really look to her, but, but just an incredible example of somebody who's um, had an amazing career, done multiple multiple things um, kind of broaden her scope of role and now she's a CEO um, but also has uh, has you know given back and um, and now she also sits on board so um, I you know I think she's had an incredible career that that I admire and look to but I think for everybody on the call I'm um, finding your own um, you know folks who make sense within your particular function or vertical or what have you that are good examples of that and kind of looking at what they've done is a good thing Yep, I think yeah, a couple can, of people missed I? the name, and, and, and so I just want to repeat the name, Rhoda, it's Sarah Fryer from uh, Square, a last name, F-R-I-A-R, right? Uh, so, great. So, Rhoda, please jump in. Yeah, I was going to say, actually, Sarah had moved from Square, now she's at Next, uh, Next Door. but the one thing, so she's now, I think, uh, CEO, the best finance leaders, right? If we talk about the path from VP of finance and CFO, our business partners to the CEO, and we, we can't emphasize that more. And that's, I think, uh, what, what you need to prove as you are furthering your career is not that you can do just the FP&A and the controllership function, but how do you take what you know from finance, translate to drive the business forward? So Jen touched about like understanding how to make return on investments. Do we, do we invest in R&D or invest in sales? providing that finance data to help partner with the executive team, you know, there's always this natural tension between sales and finance, right? Sales and marketing, they want to spend a lot of money. Finance's role is to control the spending, but it's also to be supportive and help them make more money. If you can get that mindset and you can do it, you know, 
it's a natural FP&A function, but even as a controller, you can show the forward-looking thinking, as, as Jen has said several times on today's call, that is a true CFO. So it is a combination of having leadership skills and the ability to communicate a story. Um, it is the opportunity to really, uh, but it's really showing that you can work and be part of it. So the best CFOs will tell me, and I said, well, some questions asked is like, how do you know you've been successful? And they said, you know, I know I'm successful when I have the head of sales or head of marketing or the CEO bring me in early in a conversation before they're making decisions as opposed to after the fact. So I'm thinking about doing an M&A or I'm thinking about changing the comp structure and they, they consult me for my advice and counsel earlier on and bring me to that as opposed to an afterthought. That's how you know you really, you're really driving value. Uh, and so at, at any stage in your career, put that mindset on and that will make you a more effective finance leader. That's great. So, uh, you know, I see a couple of questions about, uh, you know, reaching out to you proactively. Would you recommend that you or, you know, uh, uh, other uh, firms such as yourself, is it a good idea to be aggressive and, and seek out uh, these roles or should, is, it, is it a better strategy to just wait for the inbound interest to come in and how should people think about that? So for me personally, I mean, it's great to send an email and introduce yourself with your background, but I will tell you the challenge is, is, you know, I work on maybe, let's say, five to ten searches at a time. My team works on more, but, the, but and like, and many of them are not, sometimes in the Bay Area, sometimes they're pre-IPO. If I'm not working on something specifically for your background, unfortunately, I won't be helpful then. But the good news is what I'll do is take your resume Share it on the practice. We, we, we track town all day long, and when I do get a search, I will call you. Uh, but it's, it's, I feel, you know, sometimes I feel really bad because people are actively looking and they're pinging me all the time. I, you know, I can't always help. So what I always say, this call could be today or tomorrow. Check in with me via email. I'm happy to have a phone call, but sometimes that's just not a good use of time on both parties because, of, again, if I'm not working directly on point, there's really not much I can do. But would love to always have you know that touch point via email, and uh, and we'll keep you in mind. And, and the one thing I will highlight also really quickly: so we primarily focus on VP of finance and CFO searches, and sometimes director level searches. But most of it is it's either head of finance or head of FP&A or controllership is just our sweet spot. So it's it's usually somebody with 10 years of experience. I, I'm not we are we're not the firm that's doing the the senior manager level work, just to, just so people have that understanding. Great. Yeah. And so I guess last question about where you find the people. You 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 talked a bit about LinkedIn. Is is that kind of the big primary source, or you know, are there events that people should be getting out and and kind of meeting people to socialize and network, or is that just a waste of time and 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 time is better spent uh, building up their skills and investing in areas that they're not uh, good at? And how should people think about? where to be seen other than maybe a place like LinkedIn. Yeah, um, you know, uh, we, we sometimes host events. I know Jen is really good about hosting events, and those are always good to go just to just even uh, to be out there. Uh, but most of it is through LinkedIn, and then it is also uh, sourcing. So tell, so tell if you are actively looking and you have other CFO friends and, and uh, VP of finance friends, tell them if they get pinged, to refer you because a lot of times because a lot of times I will email my CFO friends and say do you know I know you're not looking is there anybody you recommend they'll say oh I know somebody but I want to talk to them first out of confidentiality the challenge is they get busy they never follow up 
but if you give them permission ahead of time, even if you're not right, it gives me a reason if I'm referred by somebody I trust, I'm going to call you, I'm going to spend time to get to know you, you may or may not be right for that person, but now you're on my radar screen. It's easier for me to get you known that context as opposed to your opinion, me saying, I'm looking for an opportunity. And so I would say just network, get return recruiters calls, uh, even if you're not looking and build those relationships. Um, I don't know, Jen, how if, how, you know, Jen also is in the market for getting to know good finance talent too. Absolutely. And, and one of the things that we're doing is starting to, we're going to launch a job board from across the portfolio. So, um, so that people can come and take a look at open roles. Um, if not, likely the CFOs would probably not be on there. Um, but so, you know, the directors, maybe VP would be up there. And so that's one way of getting to know, but also we're like Rhoda, we're, we're here to get to know a whole network um, of really talented folks. So, um, you know, may not be able to do one-on-one -on -one calls all the way across, but but certainly open to getting to know you. And um, we, we have a big talent management system that um, where we go and, and we share profiles with CEOs all the time. So um, happy to get to know folks. And, um, you know, we will, we, we don't often do these searches without a partner, um, but uh, we will, we will make introductions where we can. Great. So, I have one more question, and then, and then I'll, I'll uh, you know, pull up uh, some more questions from the audience. I've been sprinkling them in, but my question is, you know, one of our customers recently uh, made a very good observation that modern you know, finance leaders, and especially controllers and, and VPs of finance, and maybe to an extent even CFOs, uh, they have to deal with so much technology, right? So to the point that they're almost systems integrators, and, and uh, uh, how important is it for CFOs and is that even something that you think about as part of the uh, recruiting interview process to stay ahead of the curve, you know, them being technology savvy in terms of how they can implement technology within the company itself and use that uh, as leverage to uh, scale a business and things like that. Is, is that a part of, uh, uh, you know, the uh, overall process of evaluating a, a potential CFO? So for me, I, I mean, to some extent, I would say for maybe a VP of finance search, but um, we are typically trying to hire leaders, you know, either at the CFO or VP of finance leader uh, level. So we, we don't need them to have expertise. We need them to be to show the skill set that they understand to hire really good people that may have that skill set. So that doesn't necessarily always come into play, but I do think somebody has shown to be to know how to build a world-class finance team and systems would be something that we would focus on and technology being part of that. Got it. And so Jen, maybe I'll ask you this question. There are a couple of questions from the audience about how as a, you know, as a CFO, maybe even as a VP of finance, that relationship with the CEO is so important, right? Mm -hmm. And how do you uh, kind of uh, figure out if the match is there and what exactly, or how do you advise CEOs to kind of look for the same thing in, in uh, a CFO? So if we use a, scar, a scorecard as, as a tool, um, then we have kind of the, the hard requirements, if you will, um, you know, kind of mapped out ahead of time in an ideal scenario. And, and but this, what I'd characterize, I don't want to call them the soft skills, but, but that chemistry between the CEO, that's hard um, for us to advise. I think when, um, but we do, we do advise CEOs to just pay, pay attention to that. And, to, to do things in the, along the process where they get to know them um, on a personal level. And, you know, they may want to go to dinner with them or, 
have breakfast or go for a walk in COVID era, um, but get to know them a little bit beyond um, beyond kind of the, the structured interviewing process. And, and as a part of the interview process, um, get to know who they are as people. How do they make decisions? How do they handle conflict? Um, questions like that to dive into um, that dynamic. And so they, hopefully it, it um, elucidates a little bit of insight around whether this is a person they could work really well with. Got it. And I guess uh, uh, another related question is, which, which a couple of people have was, hey, is it the, does the search always have to come from outside? What if I am a controller in, in a company and I am a VP of finance? How do I make sure that I position myself to you know, get that CFO role? And does that happen often and in your portfolio companies where you encourage CEOs to look at whether they have the talent in-house uh, and, and they don't even have to go outside? And, and how should people uh, make sure that they are positioning themselves best as they think about how the company is scaling, that they're meeting the needs of uh, the company at the right time? Um, so we often, we really encourage our CEOs to promote from within. So we, we think that, that it's a great um, way to grow and develop talent. That's why, in large part, why we have um, the development program we do around developing leaders because we're big believers in creating those pathways internally. Um, the reality, and, and sometimes that does work, so it, it does happen, um, but often the company is growing at a pace that outpaces the growth of the team internally. So that, that's where we get into having to bring somebody in from outside. But it absolutely happens. And, and I think positioning is getting, as I think demonstrating internally, like leadership, um, capability, growth, open openness, developing that relationship with the CEO um, and with the rest of the leadership team. So, um, you know, people are understood as, as high potential leaders who can step into those senior roles. Got it. Now, uh, there are many more questions I could spend time on. Unfortunately, we are uh, out of time. and. You know, uh, thank you both for joining us today. It's been uh, incredible. Uh, I learned a lot myself. I'm sure uh, all of the folks in the audience did too. And uh, would it be okay if people reached out to you on LinkedIn and connected with you? And is that the best way to reach out? Absolutely. Please feel Absolutely. free. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks everyone for joining us today. And Rhoda and Jen, uh, really appreciate you uh, taking the time. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having right. us. Thanks. Bye-bye.